Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. What is up? Higher Learning is on. It is Ivan Lathan Jr. And it's me, Rachel and Lindsay. I'm starting a liberal, liberal left gun club. Wow. Yeah. I just want to remind you that you told everybody you were getting rid of them here on this I podcast. Did. And you've gone from one extreme to, which we never believed. But you went from, I'm getting rid of all of them. I wanted to. And then now you're starting a club, so you're recruiting people. I am going to start a club. And let's talk about the name. I'm not sure what the name's going to be yet. Oh, I thought that was the name. Oh, you but... thought the name was going to be Luscious Black? No, you didn't say, you said, didn't you say Black Liberal Gun Group? Did I make that up? Uh, no, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> say Black Liberal Gun No, my new nickname is Luscious Black. Who gave you that nickname? Myself. <laughs> oh, it's like a big rage. I'm, I'm, I understand. I am, I am, like, so, for the foreseeable future, I would like to be called, not called, you don't have to call me, but I want I people to know that my nickname is Luscious Black. Luscious Black is who I am. That's me. Okay, wait. So in the group chat, when you kept saying I have a new nickname and nobody, nobody would respond. Yes. Like I nobody said, I, I said a couple times, I have a new nickname and nobody responded Not to it. I know one person didn't want to know, but that's the nickname. That was it. Lush LB, Luscious well, Black. Obviously, it could have waited. Well, I'm, like, I'm shocked Donnie didn't say, yeah, what Donnie, is it? Donnie, Donnie's that's probably your boy. jealous of the, of, the, of the nickname of Luscious Black. I was Black. waiting for you to just tell us Wrong. the nickname. You were supposed you never to ask. Did. Okay. And it's, the nickname is Luscious Black. I looked at myself. I was putting lotion on. I was like, oh, this is Luscious. And I'm black. And sometimes when I put, uh, sometimes I feel sexy when I put cocoa butter on. Because, you know, you put on regular lotion and you're like, oh, you know, whatever. But then you put a cocoa butter on, right? And it's all over your body, right? And then it's on there and you smell like chocolate. I smell like a big chocolate bear when I put the cocoa butter on. And that makes me feel sexy. And so it makes me feel luscious. And I'm black. Luscious black is my name. I put the cocoa butter. You put cocoa butter on ever? Like the, Sometimes. Like the regular no, cocoa I know. butter? No, in the, in the jar. In the jar. Yes. Like, not, not like the, I'm not talking about the lotion. No, no, no. In the jar. It's like the, in the jar. scoop it up. Gets in my nails. It gets yes. in your nail. And let me tell you why it's such a sensuous thing to put the cocoa butter on yourself. It's because you're taking time for yourself. Because you can't just get it out of there, right? You have to, like, take the time to go into the thing and put the cocoa butter on and rub it, and it flakes off, and then you pick up a little flake and go, ooh. And then you take that and you put that on. It's all And then after that, you're like, I could take on You the do world. that every day? Not every day. Okay, because I'm, if, if I did it every day, then it wouldn't be a treat. Okay. So you do it when you have time, when you're feeling down, when, okay. you know what I mean? So you're, you're not luscious black every day. Well, no, that's not true. I put the cocoa butter on and it created Luscious Black. Oh, okay. So Luscious Black Duh. is here. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but look, back to what we were talking about, the, the Left Black Gun Club. Okay, I don't know what the name's going to be yet. I know there's another one out there. Now, shout out to those guys called Arm Your Friends. Um, that's the name of the gun club. I, I was, I looked them up and they're a leftist. If you're, I think they're in the New England area. If you're up there, they're a leftist black gun club. Now I'm not, you know, as far to the left as some people are, but I'm left enough to, to want to be in a gun club that goes against 
some of the other stuff that's happening. And I think it's important because I don't trust, I don't trust it. What would the gun club do? I mean, what, what would they do? We you? would shoot. Okay. We would train You'd each other. You'd meet once a month? We would meet at okay. a certain time. We would train each other. We would stand in the gap against uh, what we feel like are bad things that are going on and stuff that could negatively affect Black people. And is it welcome? Like, can everybody, you have to be Black, I'm assuming, to join? I mean, it's po politics is probably more important than uh, race, but Black is preferred. And is it like going to be a membership or anyone can come? Well, no, we got to we gotta check you the out. The screening process. Because okay. I'll, somebody from the, the FBI or somebody's going to come in there when the Proud Boy is going to get in there. We got to check you out. Got to check you out. I'm serious about this, though. Look. Listen, when I rolled up, you were looking up gun stuff on the computer. I, I know you were very serious. Well, I'm, I'm serious about this. I, these structures that are, we're going to talk about the Supreme Court in a second. These structures that are meant to protect American sovereignty are dead. And I don't care what you guys say. You're polishing the brass on a Titanic. It's all going down. These structures are dead. They're gone. It's over. It's all been taken. It's the, it's the capture of big business and all of this stuff. They're running these people. There's money in politics. There's money in the Supreme Court. Guys bought two, three Supreme Court justices hanging out. All of this stuff, it's done. The only thing that's going to be left is the knowledge that you have in your head, and that's about you, uh, what the political realities in this country, what you can do with your body, and what you can do with how you are armed. And I believe specifically for Black people, specifically for Black people, we need to understand responsibility, the legality, and the movement of arms. This doesn't mean weapons that are out there for assault purposes to destroy a whole bunch. Of, it means protecting our lives in the event that these people and these structures fall apart because they already are. Can't wait. I'm going to join. You're going to join the club? Mm-hmm. Get you a little pearl handle 380. I gotta get a California license first. You don't have one. Mm -mm. I you, I went to I went and got mine. I got mine. You didn't have one. I didn't, but I got mine, and I got mine when I got the shotgun. I was gonna give oh. the shotgun away, but then I I just had more conversations about it, and I talked about it. And there is a way to be an advocate of responsible and legal gun ownership, absolutely, and stand in the gap against things that are actively hurting and killing children and innocent people. I think they sell the lie that you have to be one or the other. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but it's not true. I'm liking what the group stands for so far. I, I join. You got you join? You ever shot before? You ever shot a gun? I absolutely have. What kind of gun you like to shoot? You know, I went to the range out in Burbank. Okay, I'm going there after we leave here today. Are you? Yeah. Um he wrote down which one. I have to look at it. Yeah, you're 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 going to like, you're going to hold us back. No, I'm not. Because I was really good at it. You're going to hold but us back. But I've shot outside of a range before, but not like anything special. Of yeah. course, I've had done shotguns because I've gone skeet shooting. Skeet shooting. Oh, skeet shooting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. What'd you do this weekend? How was your weekend? My weekend was good. I, I was, you know, I was in Dallas and then I came back early and then I went to the rodeo, a.k.a. my friend Chriselle's house. She threw a rodeo theme party. I was so confused. 
Because when you said you were in the rodeo, I was like, there's a rodeo here in L.A.? It's like, what's going on? Because she's back. <laughs> so you guys went to a rodeo. What was at the rodeo? It was at her house. Mm-hmm. And there, there was nothing other than people dressed up like it was a rodeo. And she had a mechanical bull. Oh, y'all had a mechanical bull? Yeah. Did you get there on was, the bull? Of course. I ran in and jumped on the bull. Everybody else was like, oh, wait, let me wait till I drink a little bit more. And I was like, guys, I grew up going to the rodeo for real. Yeah. And, and Did you? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So like whether it was bidding on cattle for my grandmother's farm or we just went for fun mm-hmm. in Dallas, Mesquite Rodeo. Um, I was I always grew up going. That's my father was mind. in the rodeo. He was in the rodeo. It was a rodeo team pinner. Okay. Oh. Had the cutting horses. Yeah, yeah. He was in the rodeo. He yeah. was a rodeo cowboy. He liked to rodeo. You know what I mean? He it was one of his things that he liked to do. And I was like, it was always so crazy to me. I would watch it when I was a kid. It's black rodeo. You see black people doing a rodeo, it's fun. It's mm-hmm. a different, a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were falling on the ground a lot. There's a lot of hitting the ground in the rodeo. Yeah. And even when I was playing sports, it's like, I didn't like hitting the ground like that. You know what I mean? I, I don't like just falling down. You ever see this? Like people, some people just like, when was the last time you just fell and hit the deck, hit, hit the deck, like fall? Like rodeo and my dad's on the horse. He gets up. <laughs> he's down. A lot. He's hitting the ground. I don't know. I was a scrappy sports player, so I was on the ground quite a bit. I was uh, on the ground the other day. I tripped in the middle of the street. You did? Oh, so you tripped and fell? You <laughs> I think I did a cold plunge. I'd never done one of those before. Uh-huh. And my, I don't think my legs were working quite right. And I tripped walking through the street. It happens. But you get numb when you do the cold plunge. Yeah. I did a hot cold. They call it a contrast. Yeah. So that's one of the things I did this weekend. Hot cold. So you did the hot, like Jack Dorsey from Twitter, the hot cold. I don't know anything about that, but I did sauna. Plunge, sauna, plunge. Are you with me yet that the Supreme Court is completely illegitimate and needs to be abolished? Why are we jumping all around like this? We will. Hot, cold. Hot, cold. cold. (laughs) But because I'm thinking about it now, you know, I said this and I've taken a lot of hits for it. I'm a kook. I get it. But you guys are seeing now that a rogue court made up of a, a bunch of people who aren't even attempting to interpret the Constitution anymore who have obvious... Majority is not. The majority, obviously, obviously isn't. And now even, not only that they're not doing that, they're not legislating, legislating, not supposed to legislate, they're not making decisions to bolster and strengthen the rights of American people. I will say, as it stands, it needs to be dismantled. You hate it. I do hate it. But, like, not the women, except for... uh, Not the women. Barrett, but the other one. The the women are, are killing it. So the except women are killing it except for Barrett. See except what I'm saying? Barrett. See how you went? See how the misandry just pops out? The misandry, the women are killing it except for Barrett. Barrett is one of the worst ones. I said except for Barrett. I know, but so then why <laughs> make it about women and men? Because they're, the women are standing alone in, the, in these dissents and they are writing powerful, powerful dissents when it comes to the way that the majority is turning back time and then not paying attention to precedent. That's what I mean. We have... Uh, Caroline Mala Corbin from the University of Miami. She's a law professor. We love Dr. Corbin on here. Love Dr. Corbin. She's coming to talk to us about the Supreme Court. Um, And it's going to be interesting because, look, uh, two decisions were handed down. One has to do with student loan forgiveness. Rachel, it's time for you to peel it off. Abolish student loan. (laughs) Break it off. Break it off. You love the Supreme Court so much. You love the Supreme Court so much, and so now it's break it off then. 
Remember I said, hey, yo, we should get rid of fuck the court. And you're like, I don't want to say that. So break it off. I said dismantle the court. You just said, you just said it now because you've changed now because it affects because you. This <laughs> <laughs> break it off. They've well, been doing stuff that affects me. It's very true. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about... Uh, <laughs> we're not going to also talk about it. I would say that the real, the real crime that the court uh, committed was its ruling against LGBTQ plus Americans uh, from something that went down over in Colorado and what that means to the future of discrimination law in this country. Guys, let me tell you guys something. I really want to put this out here right now. I feel like these are the bad times. Yeah. Okay, and this is why I'll say this, that these are the bad times. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny flopped. Oh, you're including this in the bad times? I'm including this in the bad times. Some movies shouldn't be bad. I'm including this in the bad bad times. It's hard for me to get the entertainment that I like. I turn on Twitter, rate limit exceeded. Twitter's dead. We can't even joke the way we're supposed to do and all the news that you're trying to follow is bad. It just seems like beyond Bozeman that these are the bad times. That it's not even bad in like existential threat bad, even though AI's out there and all of that stuff. It's just a fucking drag. Is there's so many fucking drags out there. Agreed. And you look at all these institutions that were supposed to stop things for being from being like unilaterally a fucking drag. And it's just not there. Everything, France is on fire right now. Yeah. It's the same stuff. It's just, it, it seems like we're in an energetic funk mm-hmm. right now. Like shit With is, no way out. Like, there doesn't seem to be any kind of, I don't know, recourse or think like that things are going to get better. Do you have a sign that things are going to get better? Not really. I I saw this ad that Ron DeSantis put out. The pudding? No, not the pudding ad. He put out his own ad. I love the pudding ad. I know. (laughs) And I'm looking at this and I'm like, what a fucking weird place to where this person is a serious person that this guy is considered to be a serious person. Either everything is criminally unserious or everything is way too serious. How can you say that after Trump? What do you mean? It's like you're like looking at DeSantis and you're like, how can you take this seriously? We had Trump. We had Trump. <laughs> we was still the, have Trump, sadly. We still have Trump. Here was the thing about Trump. Trump was the beginning of the unseriousness. And I think I'm looking at it in a different way now because I thought that there would have been a lesson learned sure, from that. Sure, absolutely. But there are pivotal changes and sometimes when the seas change, they never change back. And it's just kind of a drag. Yeah. It's kind of a drag. It's sort of a drag. I've been looking at dog videos a lot. Is that... Well, speaking of dog videos, you commented really nasty on my dog video. What dog video? I posted of me, Brian, and Copper was in the background. That wasn't a dog video. Copper was in it. It was a video <laughs> of you and Brian acting ridiculous. <laughs> no, and Copper 
looking like he was held hostage. <laughs> he wanted to bite. No, he did. Yes, he did. Stop, like Cobble wanted Stop. the cop was looking. You and Brian were he like, it's a rodeo. Cobble was like. <laughs> <laughs> I, was I saw him. I'm like, I'm like, Copper, please bite, please bite. <laughs> People think that I'm, I got beef with Copper because Copper bit me. No, Copper. He didn't bite you. Yes, he did. He nibbled. Nigga, <laughs> <laughs> the dog bit me. Like, <laughs> the Copper bit me. He didn't break skin. It was just like a little. It was just like a little like, hey, I'm here. He didn't break skin, right? It was so just if, like a little So if like somebody smacks you and it doesn't bruise, did you not get smacked? You got smacked, he bit me. No, no, no. He, it was just a little... It's okay. Come on. Don't, I, don't paint Copper to be some kind of demon. Can't, this is another thing. How am I painting? Did the nigga bite me or not? I don't know. I didn't you see. You saw him no, bite? No, I didn't. I saw him go after you. Yes. I, didn't see, I didn't see him actually. All right. See? This is this is something. This is what happens. Poor sometimes, Copper. Sometimes a mothers. Bad rap on this podcast. Sometimes mothers can't like come to terms with what their children do, and you know that's what's going on in neighborhoods all over the country. I don't know what that means. I don't either. Um, like, Let's move on. Carolyn Corbin, professor, University of Miami Law School. On the other side, of this break, we're going to talk about the Supreme Court. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. You guys know whenever the Supreme Court acts up, we have to bring in our very own legal avenger to make sense of it. She teaches constitutional law, U.S. constitutional law, that is, First Amendment, the Religious Clauses, the Free Speech Clause, Feminism, and the First Amendment, and Advanced Topics and Reproductive Rights. At the University of Miami Law School, she is Caroline Mala Corbin. She is joining us on Higher Learning today, and I'm going to get right into it. The Supreme Court is acting up. Caroline, what the hell... <laughs> is going on. Two different cases, really three, but one that we've already kind of talked about here on Higher Learning. But since the last time we recorded, they've been going crazy again. We saw them uh, deliver a landmark decision in LBGTQ plus rights that has a lot of people upset as well as putting an end 
to Rachel's bread and butter, which is student loan forgiveness. I want to start. I'm never paying them back now. With what happened over there, <laughs> uh, I guess in Colorado, with the Supreme Court ruling against the uh, the LGBTQ plus community. Tell us about this case, where some of the inconsistencies in the case are from some of its critics, and why the Supreme Court made the decision that they did. This uh, has a lot of people up in arms saying that we've rolled back a lot of the progress that we've made in the last 20 to 25 years. Um, I absolutely think that distress is merited. So basically what the Supreme Court has allowed is for businesses to discriminate against LGBT customers, not all businesses and not all cases. But basically what this case involved was a challenge to anti-discrimination law. So Colorado, like most states, had a law that said, listen, if you're a business, if you're open to the public, then you can't discriminate against any particular member of the public. You can't discriminate against people on the basis of race, on the basis of religion, on the basis of sex, on the basis of sexual orientation. Sort of very common anti-discrimination law. A woman who owns a website company and who is a conservative Christian says, um, I'm thinking about expanding my business. I would also like to make wedding websites, but my religion disapproves of same-sex marriage. So I don't want to have to make websites for same-sex couples. I only want to make them for um, what I view as appropriate marriages. And of course, the problem with that is it violates Colorado's anti-discrimination law. Now, because it's based on her deeply held religious beliefs, you might think that this was a religious challenge. But in fact, it was a free speech challenge. She basically argued that requiring me to have LGBT couples as my customers and requiring me to make them a wedding website in the same way I would make other people a website is the same thing as forcing me to say, I approve of same-sex marriage. And that violates my free speech rights. Because under the free speech clause, the government cannot censor you, but it can't force you to say something either. And she argued that this anti-discrimination law is basically making me say, I approve of same-sex marriage when by designing a wedding website for a same-sex couple. And the Supreme Court agreed. So, Dr. Corbin, this this is having a lot of people talk as well because the the facts of this case are wild to me. This woman hadn't started her wedding business yet, and the people that she named in the the suit, or I mean, in the case, that didn't even exist. This guy who she claims had this request wasn't even the actual guy. He was married for 15 years to a woman. He was like, this was almost a fake, not almost, it was, it was a fake request. So she filed it under a pre-challenge or pre-enforcement challenge. 
what is that? And are we going to see more of that? Because I'm just confused as how she was able to do this when she didn't have a business yet. And it, so technically it hadn't been challenged. She was doing this, basically saying if she had this website up, she this could have happened. Right. So basically, procedurally, what happened wasn't that she opened her wedding website business and someone came into her store and asked her for something. She refused. And then she was prosecuted for violating the law. And as a defense for that violation, she asserted, but it violates the constitution if you make me comply with the law. Instead, she said, I will be prosecuted under this law if I go into this business. Now, I have definitely seen the article that said some of the facts that were raised at one point were not, in fact, true. Um, Ultimately, I think it doesn't matter because you can challenge a law before it actually goes into effect. You don't actually have to be convicted under a law in order to argue it's unconstitutional. So there are a lot of reasons to find this decision appalling. I don't think that's the main reason for outcry. What's really problematic is the way that the Supreme Court distorted free speech law to basically make it legal for a store owner to discriminate. And and by the way, the holding in this case was saying that this person was allowed to discriminate against LGBT clients, but there's no principle in the decision that limits it to discrimination based on gender identity or sexual orientation. It's basically the rule established by this case is that if you run a business and you are creating something that is arguably expressive, um, then you may have a right to turn down people based on any criteria you see fit if you argue that forcing, uh, you know, that making something for these customers forces you to say something that is contrary to what you believe. So, um, if what's you the, don't what's believe the, what's in, the scope of this? What's the scope of this ruling in action? Give us well, like that's a couple. Just it. Of, as yeah. I said, the scope is much. I mean, the scope is horrendous as is. Right, the very fact that we have now made. L- our LGBT family and friends, second-class citizens in their own communities who could be turned down at many places of business, right? That's, that's a serious blow to them, not only because they no longer have equal access to goods and services, but because of the obvious stigmatic injury, right? It's basically saying, we think it's okay that you're not worthy of service. But your question is, who else can this affect? You know, if if you have someone who doesn't, who thinks that all Jews are going to hell, they may refuse to make a wedding invitation for a Jewish marriage. Or if you think that um, you don't believe in mixed race marriages, you might turn down a birth announcement for a mixed race child. I mean, there's there's nothing in the opinion that limits it to only one type of discrimination. And although this woman's bigoted beliefs were grounded in her religion, 
it's a free speech case. The person doesn't have to argue a religious basis for their beliefs. All they have to say is, I believe this. And if you force me to make this website or whatever else they make that could be considered expressive, if it's individualized and expressive, they can refuse to make it on the grounds that it's forcing them to say something they don't want to say. You said earlier that you... you, Total distortion of the law. Go ahead. Sorry. You said earlier that... um there doesn't necessarily have to be a legal injury for you to challenge a law. You can challenge that law. No, no, no. It doesn't have to have already occurred. It doesn't have to already. It has to be imminent, though. It has to be about to happen. Can you you think offhand of any other other times that something has reached the Supreme Court um, and it's been this consequential where that's also been the same case, where it hasn't been? it's not that uncommon. And you're asking me about standing. Um, I don't have those cases on the forefront of my mind, but I I know that's the sort of, uh, uh, that story was a great story because it seemed like they were making up facts in order to make it more obvious that she had standing, but it's quite common to challenge laws before they go into effect because otherwise you'd have to go to, you know, you'd have to, to get a criminal record before you could challenge a law. I don't think that's a universe that we want to exist in. Mm. So I think it happens all the time. And I'm sorry, I don't have the list of cases to back up that claim. Mm. Um, this case has a lot of people wondering, so what does this mean for other LBGTQ plus rights? And is gay marriage next? Um, I think if there's one thing that's very clear is that when there's a clash between the rights of white conservative Christians and the LGBT community, the Supreme Court is usually going to come down on the side of the white conservative Christian. Um, This is not a court that has a great deal of um, concern, compassion, openness to LGBTQ rights. Whether they're going to roll back even more rights, that's hard to predict. Unfortunately, as we see, they have, there's six very conservative justices and they are taking that majority and running with it. Mm. And so they are definitely remaking constitutional law in their own image. Um, how far they'll take it, I, I don't know. I don't know whether they, I mean, again, we're taught, we're, we're in a world where the court has overruled um, abortion rights that have existed for 50 years. They've overruled equal protection rights, the affirmative action that's existed for 40, 50 years. Are they also going to be comfortable eliminating LGBTQ rights that have existed for a much shorter period of time? Possibly. I don't know. Mm. Um, I don't, again, there's been such incredible backlash to their redirective rights decision that they may be more hesitant to strike down established rights. Right. It may only be that in the cases where white Christian conservatives rights are at stake, that mm. they're willing to really 
push back. Um, but I don't know if they will, if those rights are also not in play. They also... I, 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 I don't dare make any predictions because yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. every time we turn around... We don't know what they'll do. Uh, yeah. There's yeah. another victory facts. that um, privileges some people over others. Right. They also took a swipe at student loan forgiveness. Uh, student loan forgiveness is on the outs. Of course, President Biden promised this as part of his campaign. And he was on the track to happen it to happening. People were gonna get some relief. But the Supreme Court said no. What was the basis of their decision here? Six to three vote. Um, federal law does not authorize the Department of Education to cancel such student loan debt. You know, this one has been a little bit more controversial. People are up in arms about it, but there are some people that argue that the president really doesn't have the authority to do that, even under the HEROES Act. Uh, what do you think? So here it's really interesting because you were talking earlier about the question of standing, right? Does this person even have a right to bring the lawsuit? And there, in this case, there actually was a question about standing in that the, so generally you can't just challenge a law because you're ideologically opposed to it, right? Only people who have something concrete at stake can challenge a law. And the question here is, were the six states who were challenging this law, did they have standing? Did they actually have something at stake in this case? And it wasn't altogether clear whether any did. The Supreme Court focused on Minnesota because Minnesota had created this independent agency who would be affected by whether or not the student loans had to be paid. But as um, Justice Kagan pointed out in dissent, that's an independent agency. Mm. And so if anyone were to challenge it, it should be that agency. Them, yeah. <laughs> and not the state. So in this case, we really did have a question in standing in a way we didn't in the other case, because you could at least conceivably argue that she did, like the, the person challenging the law did have a, you know, skin in the game. She did have something at stake. She wanted to, she would have been published if her, uh, punished if her business had expanded in the way she had hoped. In this case, Minnesota may not have been affected at all by the outcome of the case. So I would want to just point out that there's a real issue about whether they should have been able to bring a lawsuit at all. And then getting to the actual language of the statute, I mean, the statute said, um, that the secretary had authority to modify or waive student loans. And so there was a dispute about what exactly this means. And so the majority said modify means just change a little bit to tweak, right? They said modify means to tweak. And the dissent said modify means to change. And this is a change. And they had authority. And so there was a dispute about the language of the statute. Um, and usually when you have this kind of ambiguity, historically there has been, um, historically what courts do is they defer to the agency who's given, given, given authority to interpret the language. 
And so, again, assuming the language was ambiguous, and you might argue it's not ambiguous at all. It said it could modify or waive it, and that's what it basically did. This is a very straightforward application of the text of the law and the story. But to the extent there was any uncertainty, usually we defer to the agency that has the sort of expertise to apply the law. And this Supreme Court has uh, really been resistant to that kind of deference to agencies. And their argument is if you're going to do a major change, Congress has to say it has to be very clear that they're giving agency the power to make that major change. Yeah. So that's that's a sort of the debate. Um, so really, I mean, the question is, how consistent is this court going to be about this? Right. Because even with its standing decisions, sometimes standing is a they, they sometimes standing is a major issue and sometimes it's not like when they want to decide the merits of the case, they don't worry as much about standing. Um, are they going to make this new doctrine? Are they going to apply it? evenly to every president that makes a arguably, you know, interprets a statute in a, an ambiguous statute. I don't know. I don't, I don't have a lot of confidence that whatever this court does, it's going to do it in an even handed manner. And I think that's part of the problem is all its decisions seem to be aligned with a particular ideology, which makes people wonder are these decisions based on interpreting the law or are these decisions where that was the outcome of foregone conclusion and these opinions are just justifying what the just what the justices themselves wanted to do as a matter of policy? Yeah, I, I thought um, Kagan's dissent was really powerful because she kind of questions those things. One, I guess, could you t- touch on the major questions doctrine that um, was at issue in this case, because people are saying that that's something that this court could use to challenge other areas as well, um, as far as ha- what power they give an agency or maybe even their overreach. And Kagan really seems to address like judicial restraint and whether or not, you know, they're getting too political or they're deciding policy rather than this checks and balance of allowing certain branches to do what certain branches have the authority to do. I think a lot of people are looking at this case as maybe how the Supreme Court might interpret other issues under this major questions doctrine. Yeah. So the major questions doctrine, again, is this idea that um, if, okay, so I'm going to take a step back and just remind everyone of some basic civics, as you know, I sometimes do, right? So the balance of power among the three branches of the federal government is a very important consideration, right? Each branch is supposed to have its own area. Um, Congress is supposed to make laws. The president is supposed to enforce laws. And the courts are supposed to decide cases and controversies involving the law of the Constitution. And they're not supposed to go outside their delegated authority lest they aggrandize themselves at the expense of the other two branches. And each of the branches is supposed to check the other branches, right? So again, the, the, there's a, always this overriding concern of concentrations of power And one way to address that is to give different branches of the government's different powers and to make sure they stay in their lane. And standing is so important 
because it's to make sure that the court stays in its lane, right? It's only supposed to decide cases or controversies. And it's not a case or controversies if both parties don't have something at stake. So her dissent was partly arguing the court is overreaching its authority because this is not a case or controversy. Meanwhile, the court is arguing that the president, the executive branch is overreaching because Congress has not given it authority to make such a major policy decision like this. And so basically the whole major questions doctrine is the idea that if there is a major policy shift, then the, the executive branch can only do it if Congress had made it really clear that they're giving the president the power to do that. Because again, Congress is the one who's supposed to make the law. The president is only supposed to be implementing the law. And the argument is here, they were sort of going over the line from implementing into making. And the response is, no, it didn't. Congress said very clearly in the text of the statute that the secretary had authority to modify or waive. So that's sort of the tension. Dr. Corbin, what do you think about kooks like me who believe that the court has largely been illegitimate since the end of the Warren court, since Nixon, like, forced Fortas to resign and then spent the last 50 years moving the court to the right and legitimizing corporate power in uh, decisions like Citizens United and cutting off the knees of the people, taking rights away from people, taking voting rights away from people, taking LGBTQ rights away from people, taking affirmative action away from people, ruling against Lily Ledbet, all kinds of different situations that the court has been party to, whereas acting as a corporate actor and reinforcing, reinforcing the American status quo. I'm a kook now because I think that the court is part of a major problem in America, and I need to see real reform, but I really yeah, want it yeah. abolished. You're not a kook. I mean, the public opinion of the Supreme Court is at a as a is at a low. Um, a lot of people are having the same reaction as you are, um, especially because this court. It's not just as you pointed out. It's not just making major shifts in the law. They're doing it in a way that's really affecting though the least powerful among us and. Again, they haven't just changed rights. As you said, they've taken away rights um, and they've done it in a way. Well, let me let me say the court has certain rules about how it makes decisions. And it's not following its own rules. So it's not following its own rules and it's taking rights away. And this is a good reason to to, to sort of say, wait a second, they're, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Um, I think that is a, as good a reason as any to question their legitimacy when they're using their power in a way that goes outside the bounds of their own rules. And they're changing law not to expand rights, but to contract them, particularly for 
people who have always struggled to have a modicum of equality in our society. Yeah, I think that's it's like what what do we where do we go from here? Do we get another eventually as the years pass on will we have a liberal supreme court and then they'll give back the rights that were taken and then go, go on and we'll have a conservative court and we'll just have the Haven't back had and forth. a liberal supreme court in 50 years. But this is what it's it seems like it's just going to be this volley this back and forth which makes the supreme court feel very partisan. We know it <laughs> is, but you're seeing it more I feel like yeah, never. As, as you said, it's always been partisan, yeah. right? Yeah. It, it's never that it's been completely apolitical. But as I was trying to emphasize, and it hasn't always succeeded, but at least in my memory, it's adhered to certain rules, more or less, right? And I think that they're violating their own rules excessively and in the interests of certain groups. Um, I, again, you always ask me what, what's going to happen and how do I fix it? I never, I'm just a law professor. Okay, so let me ask you this, let me ask you this, Dr. Porter. I don't have I, I wish I could say, and yes, the pendulum sometimes swings back and forth. And so the only question is, you know, how long do we have to wait? Um, are there other ways of diluting the power of this court? You know, again, whatever you change you make to this court is going to apply to all courts in the future. And so, um, you know, some people have argued that court is not ultimate, like the Warren court had a few aberration decisions. And so now we had this ideal of the court as a leader in rights, whereas a more accurate understanding is it's always lagged behind everybody. It lagged behind the other two branches in terms of reporting rights. It's a follower, not a leader. So maybe it's better if it didn't have as much power as it did. Or maybe we just have to de-escalate the partisanship of the court by somehow changing how we choose justices. Other, other countries also have Supreme Courts, and they're not quite as partisan as ours is. And so there are other ways of you know, creating your Supreme Court. Um, or, you know, I, I, the lot of, the lot of I talk of expanding the court so we don't have such an incredible concentration of extremely conservative justices as we do now. But that requires the uh, other, um, that requires the other branches. <laughs> So, but, but, yeah, that's the, I mean, I, I think I said that last time, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let me, before I let you go, I do. I, I do want to say one thing. I feel like there's a fundamental difference between a court that looks to the American citizen and the protection and um, the strengthening of strengthening of their rights and a court that seems beholden to not just politics, but you know, corporate interests and uh, American sort of just bullshit American power structures in a very specific way. And when I look at this, you know, deciding that corporations are people, changing the way money flows into politics, changing the way people are allowed to vote, you know what I mean? I've seen, like, in the last 15 or 20 years, a shrinking 
of the power and the agency of the American people, the people themselves, and this sort of enhancement of the structures that that keep them sort of uh, girded under. And the court's been a big part of that. And I think that don't doesn't there have to be something drastic that is done? Come on, get with me, Dr. Corbin. Abolish the Supreme Court. Come on, just say <laughs> it. Say it. Get with me. Abolish him. Let's let's do it. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure if I'm I'm with you with that. And it's not just because I'd probably be out of a job. It's because it's in the Constitution. Um, I, yeah. I think there is, you know, I think there is something fundamentally sound about having three branches of government that serves as checks and balances on each other. Clearly, something is awry right now. I would argue that a lot of it has to do with the fact that this Supreme Court does not respect facts. It doesn't respect precedent. It's too willing to manipulate both facts and the pre-existing law um, to get decisions that make them happy. <laughs> um, <sighs> again, even with 303 Creative, the court did a maneuver in free speech jurisprudence that's just odd. Like it, 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 it just, well, I, I, I'll stop there. <laughs> okay, okay, I have to say it. Oh, to say it. Making a website is that the court argued that making a website is pure speech, and that the point of the law was to eliminate a particular viewpoint from the marketplace of ideas. But that's rubbish. The point of the law is to end discrimination against groups that have not had that have historically been subordinated in our society. The law was a regulation of conduct. It was not a regulation of speech. And just the court's description of it as a regulation of pure speech is a distortion of basic, basic free speech law. And you would not expect people who are steeped in knowledge of the Constitution to make those kinds of conflations of what things are. And yet this court did, and it did it solely to get the outcome that it wanted. Mm-hmm. It, it distorted the law. It abused its power. And it's abused its power in order to allow one group to discriminate against another group. And that is horrific. And I don't know if I we need to abolish the court but something's got to change. There it is. <laughs> I just replied, you just need a nudge, Dr. Corbin. You're coming over to my side. That, that is, is Dr. Not- Caroline Corbin. Um, law professor at the University of Miami, thank you. Yes, thank you. For joining us today on Higher Learning. We're going to have you on another time when something dope happens. Maybe like... I'm always, I'm always happy to talk to you all. And even if it's a downer... <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank At you. least we could kvetch together, and that—that that is right. something. That is something. That is something right there. Thank you for joining us Thank today. Thank you. Donna. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. You could be doing anything this week, right? You've got work, errands, friends, and a whole lot of fun in between. That's why the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life, with premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. 
Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. Okay, so you don't want to revisit having your dad go for the Supreme Court. You don't want to talk about that. Uh, I, I would hate for my dad to be a part of this court. Because I feel like as as just of a person as he is, he would get wrapped into all of the foolishness that's going on with that court. I would not want my dad this to be on my dad's legacy. Mm. When, um, before we move off that completely, there's an activist group that's challenging legacy admissions. You knew that this was going to happen. Lawyers for Civil Rights is a nonprofit based in Boston. Filed a suit on Monday on behalf of the Black and Latino community um, in New England, alleging that Harvard's admission systems violates the Civil Rights Act. Why are we rewarding children for privileges and advantages accrued by prior generations? Says Ivan Espinoza Madrigal, the group's executive director. Your family's last name and the size of your bank account are not a measure of merit and should have no bearing on the college admissions process. Uh, A separate campaign is urging the alumni of the 30 prestigious colleges to withhold donations until their schools in legacy admissions. I'm never going to do that. (laughs) Rachel, do you think legacy admissions will be ended by schools? I don't know. They're going to have to show that 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 legacy admissions discriminate against a protected class. They're going to have to prove that. I don't know if they can. I'd like to see it go away. What I can tell you is not going to happen is these 30 schools, colleges withholding donations until their schools in legacy missions. That's never going to happen because everything's based off money. But I would like to see this go all the way up and I would like for them to end legacy admissions. You want to see legacy admissions gone. Yeah, it is unfair. Yeah. Um. Okay, so... Let me tell you why legacy admissions aren't going anywhere. I'm not picking on USC right now because USC is cool. It's a fun place. I guess there are. Um, The film school at USC. It's the best film school in the country. Mm -hmm. A lot of great places you can go get yourself a nice MFA, but USC is one of the best ones. I'm looking at some of the the facilities right there. The George Lucas and Steven Spielberg buildings. Ray Stark Family Theater. The Albert and Dana Broccoli Theaters, the Fannie Bryce Theater, the Marsha Lucas Post-Production Center, the Maryland and Jeffrey Katzenberg Center for Animation, the Sumner Redstone Production Building. You guys don't know who Sumner Redstone is. It's Viacom. Robert Zemeckis Center for Digital Arts, home of Trojan Vision. The students, Trojan Vision. The student television state. Blah, blah, blah. Louis B. Mayer, film and television. Louis B. Mayer is, uh, is a... a like a huge Hollywood producer, blah, blah, blah. Um, so look, Hugh M. Hefner, uh, moving image archive. I am saying that these buildings are named after people. In some cases, they're named after people because these people are great people. In other cases, they're named after people because these people, in addition to being alumni of USC, also have donated tons and tons and tons of dollars to USC. Sure. If my name is on a building at USC, you're not going to fucking tell me that my kid can't come to USC and do whatever the fuck they want to do at USC. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, these schools are dependent on the legacies and the contributions of the legacies in a way that they were not dependent on the diversity in the, on their campuses. Sure. The legacy admissions situation 
to me, is a much more direct indictment of the problems with America. If you look at uh, affirmative action, what you can look at is a reaction, as we've pointed out, to stark and evident inequality that exists in the country. Mm -hmm. It's evident just by numbers and figures that black students across the nation uh, have a much different experience in their scholastic journey than do their white counterparts. Their wealth disparities, their teacher qualification disparities, their accreditation disparities, at levels going all the way up until college. So what I would argue is that affirmative action is a response to those disparities. Legacy admissions, it's very clear that it is taking people who actually in no way, in no way have done anything special other than their genetics and putting them in a preferential place to other members of American society. Now, we've never really cared about that because we understand that that's just how it goes. Sure. I, I was crying about the fact that people are legacies. We never cried about it because it's like, hey, that's how it goes. Like, I hope one day I could use nepotism to my kids' advantage. No one's cried about it, right? But it's a new day. And this new day says that, hey, there is nothing to be considered other than the merit of the student not what the student had to overcome necessarily, although you still might be able to consider that, but not, let me put it to you more specifically, not the specific issues that exist with that student's experience vis-a-vis race. So because that's not a thing, well, I'm saying, hey, let's make sure that everybody starts off at the same place. And it doesn't matter what your daddy put on the building or anything like that. It's not going to happen. No, because it's about money. And if they pull their money away and say, I'm going to take it somewhere else, what's the school going to do? At this point, like, those guys could start their own film school and it would be like, you know, let anybody else who wherever they wanted. You know what I mean? But what I'm saying is, I tell you guys right now, if you put your faith in the issue of legacy admissions, which, by the way, we talked about this before, it's going to be harder to challenge them because I don't know that there's a direct statute that says you can't do that as explicitly. No, there isn't. Right. But if you can somehow show that these type of admissions are discriminating against a protected class, which is, I would think is very hard to do, then maybe you have something. But I like the fact that they're still doing this. Great. Let's ruffle some feathers. Are you on spill? No, I had never heard of that until you posted it today. Never heard of spill. I, I mean, I'm barely it. on Twitter. Yeah, you don't like and that. can I just say this? Uh, so Elon Musk, you know, limited the number of tweets you can read, yeah. but isn't it for individuals 600 tweets a day? I think it is something like that. Who's reading 600 tweets a day? Oh, you can easily read 600 tweets a day. Okay. You can scroll in the timeline, you're reading tweets. Yeah, but I don't even know if I get to 50. Yeah, nigga, well. That's, when I oh read my. that, I was like, what's the big deal? 600 tweets sounds like a lot. But I guess, how many tweets would you easily hit 600? I'm not sure. Maybe. I probably do. I, my tweets are all over the place, I mean, though. it's bad that he's limiting it, but I'm just saying, I was like, 600? 
So you, can I share? Can I give you the, the? Can I pass on my tweets? So, so what you're necessarily saying is that you don't think what Elon Musk did is a problem. Well, it doesn't. It didn't affect me. I thought 600 was a lot. I was like, wow, people are reading that many tweets a day. Mm. Do you have a problem with do Do you have a problem with um, uh, megalomaniac? Uh, <laughs> Uh, like buying a public forum. I get it. And then tailoring that public forum. Absolutely. To his own personal ideological. I think I was just taken aback with the number. That's all I was asking. I get the uproar. I get why people are upset, but go ahead. You guys know that Elon Musk is a lie. You know, it's a lie. Sure. You know, it's, 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 The Elon Musk thing is another example of the stories that we tell ourselves. We've been telling the same story about various white dudes since the beginning of this country. We've been telling stories. America is just a series of stories about white dudes. That's what the stories are. Hey, George Washington chopped down cherry tree. All this guy did all of this stuff. Don't tell the other parts of the story. All kinds of slaves, dedicated slavery. Look, I'll say this to people. Um, I'm not saying that there is anything. There were a lot of slave owners during that time, Mm -hmm. right? People had slaves, right? Mm -hmm. This is what I'm saying. George Washington wasn't just a slaver. He was a dedicated slaver. Thomas Jefferson was a student of the Enlightenment, a philosophy that, railed against slavery. He knew in his heart that it was wrong, but he was still tethered to slavery. Mm -hmm. However, the stories of these guys and their genius and their bravery and who they are, like they pull on the reality of the country. And we keep doing it over and over and over again. We did this with Donald Trump. The story of Donald Trump for years and years and years, another white dude, was of this maverick, genius real estate developer Mm -hmm. that everything he touched literally turned to gold. That was the story of him for years and years and years. And it turned out to be a bunch of bullshit. He was a dude that got a million dollars from his dad and was able to parlay that into this weird brand and cult of personality where he doesn't ever pay anyone, does whatever the fuck he wants to do, hires terrible people. He's a fucking nimkapoot. <laughs> he is. And we continue to do this. We tell the same story about various white, this story about Elon Musk. This is the guy that's going to, I watched Iron Man 2 this weekend. Elon Musk is in the movie because they were looking at him as the actual Tony Stark. Mm. When really this guy is good at pushing people away. He's good at sort of leveraging business relationships, getting subsidized by the government, taking credit for a lot of other people's innovations. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at what's happening with Twitter and the fact that it's all Elon, that we're watching in real time, we're watching in real time, we're not hearing about what happened after somebody took over Tesla or what happened after somebody worked with other people on SpaceX. We're not hearing about all of this stuff. We're watching it. And the story just isn't that awesome. 
doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. So why are we on Twitter? We're on Twitter because Twitter's what we got. Until Spill came around. What is Spill? Spill is a Black-owned social media app. I downloaded it. I'm on you it. You say you were waitlisted? So they did waitlist me on So, Spill. like, not it's not open to everybody? Well, they it's it's in the beta, so I got oh, waitlisted, but oh, okay. I'm, I'm on Spill now. I'm on Spill. But it's in the beta. I don't know how to use it, but I'm trying. You know what I mean? So I'm on Spill. And we'll see if Spill takes off and takes the place of Twitter. But what I'm saying about this is we need to tell some stories about some black people now. That's what we need to do. We need to tell the story of Spill. We need to tell some stories about some black yes. people, some other people. We need to tell some stories about some black people. I'm sick and tired of the same story with all of these people that ends up to be bullshit. And by the time we get to the point to where these people are, um, are, are shown to be who they really are, their story is so powerful that people don't want to not believe it. So the story of Trump is so powerful that people cannot fathom the fact that he's a moron. The story of Elon Musk is so powerful but that people cannot fathom that he doesn't know what he's doing. Sick of these goddamn white stories. Uh, two black people found it spill. Alfonso Fonz Terrell and DeVars Brown. They both fired from Twitter after Elon Musk took over. So uh, Spill features T references related to both leaves and gossip. When a user uploads a Spill, the equivalent of a post, the app tells them it's brewing your tea. And a Spill board contains the 10 hottest spills based upon engagement volume. There are also hashtag tickers, ways to comment, and multiple color options that people can choose. Spills are shown in reverse chronological order, just like Twitter but also have vertical and horizontal scroll tools. Everybody join me on Spill. Rachel, you going to get on Spill? Sure. <laughs> no. I mean, I can be anti-Twitter. Okay. And I can support Spill. I think that's great. I think it's, I think it's great. I'm looking at it right now. That's what I'm doing. You're on Spill right now? Yeah, I'm, I was on the website. Now I'm looking it up. Rise in France, um, they look like they're calming down, but there have been five days of, it says violent protests, I'm going to say, of inspired public disobedience in response to the shooting of a teenager during a police traffic stop. Okay, there's video of this. Um, the video was released Tuesday morning. Uh, Nahel is the teenager's name. He drove away, but the officer fatally shot him in the chest. That officer is now under formal investigation for voluntary homicide. Uh, the French equivalent is being charged with the crime in the U.S. legal system. Sunday night saw the violence subside and fewer arrests were made. Emmanuel Macron asked the Interior Ministry to keep a massive police presence on the streets. Did you see anything about the 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 protests? The demonstrations over there in France. Yeah. I mean, it was everywhere. And um, it's interesting because sometimes you think, obviously, you know, discrimination happens everywhere and particularly with Black people, but sometimes it's hard to see it outside of, I guess, where you are because mm -hmm. I'm so focused on what's happening in this country. You almost forget that it's sometimes that it happens everywhere else. 
So to see this happening and to see people rally and, and protest against it was really interesting too, because in France, they have this policy that everybody has universally equal rights. At least that's how what it's supposed to be. So nobody talks about racism. They feel that that's taboo. If you talk about it, you're adding to the problem, which obviously doesn't solve anything. So to see people rally in the streets and actually protest about what's happening when that's considered taboo in France, I hate that it's it comes on the hills of somebody having to die um, un, unjustly at the hands of the police, but I appreciated seeing that, knowing what the sentiments are in France, that people don't talk about racism there. Mm. Yeah. Um, look. <sighs> I remember Oprah, like 2005, going to a store in Paris. Do you remember this? No. Oprah went to a store in Paris, uh, the Hermes store. And um, she was not like she was about to go on television. She looked like a woman who was shopping in Paris, you know? Mm -hmm. And they denied her mm. and said that she looked North African. That was their reasoning for denying her? That's what was said. Is that they have been denying North Africans lately and that she looked North African. I remember this very, very vividly. Um, uh, and it is, it was interesting because Oprah, at one point, was the world's only black billionaire that we... Right, right, right. Could, that we could measure their wealth. I'm sure there were some people, some other places that was a little harder to measure their wealth, but Forbes can only measure. So this kid is, his descent is uh, from a specific, I don't know, I, I don't want to butcher the name, but they're from the Northwest portion of Africa, um, the Western part of the Arab world, um, Algeria, Libya, Morocco, Tanzania, places like that. Yeah, I think he was Algerian, right? Algerian, right. So, you know, I think about the fact that, that there is, at least for me, uh, anecdotally, a history of some discrimination and some ill feelings towards people that look like this young man. And I remembered it when I saw that. I was like, oh, well, I've heard of people being confused with North Africans, being denied interest in the stores in France. I thought about that. I was like, huh, interesting. And then this young man is shot. I wonder what the life of someone that is um, like him or that uh, comes from the place that he comes from, I wonder what that life is like in France. Um, I don't know. There are 20 times, if you are Black or, um, you know, from the region that you were discussing, even from like the Middle East, you're 20 times more likely to be subjected to police identity checks. In France? Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. Well, so to Oprah is that they were having a problem with North Africans lately, is what they said. Mm. So these are, these are things that are known there about the discrimination that goes on. 
I've never been to France, have you? Yes. Did you feel a certain way when you were there? It was a blur. Walking a lot of people, oh. like full of butter. Like, yeah, that kind of time. I was going crazy. There's butter everywhere. People had baguettes. I was very distracted by the baguettes. I, I remember in Spain feeling very much like I've never seen, I've never been stared at like I was in Spain. I'm talking people are at their lights, at the stoplight, not even trying to hide it. I'm walking on the street and I see people like this. Every restaurant I would go to, people would just stare and they would just look. They would just look at you? They would just look. I don't know if it's because I was Brian. What? I don't know. Oh, it was you and Brian? It was me and Brian. Oh, that's why they were looking. I mean, I, But I asked my girlfriend, did she feel that when she was there? And she was like, yeah. She was with a white dude too? No, oh. she was, it was just her. Just how do you know down. that they? How do you know that they weren't looking at your forehead? Though? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was like <laughs> you're telling your Spain story. Like, how do you know? I'm trying they're, to have a serious conversation like, about. And, and, like, and the like, reason like, I know they weren't is because like, the reason I know that they weren't because <laughs> I was wearing I had, the way my hair was, the wig that I had on. It covered. It was like a side part, so it covered some of my forehead. So they were not staring at and my forehead. And they knew that. They covered part of it, but it was still a large portion that was... What's uh, wrong with you? I'm just joking. <laughs> but, but look, I, I like, I, the stories of people that have experienced racism in Europe that I know, in all seriousness, there's so many. It's so many. Like, you know, you guys, are you on the soapbox? There's no quarter. There's no quarter. I just feel like people don't talk about it enough. You glamorize it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to go to Europe in a couple of months, and, I pro- and I'm sure... I, if a story happens, I don't know if I'm going to talk about that as much as I'm going to talk about the vacation and, and what happened. Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe because I just come to expect it. But we don't talk about the racism we experience or the discrimination we experience when we leave this country and other countries. Well, part of it is because we need to get more solidified as a diaspora so that those True. conversations and those um, experiences um, are better, you know, understood and I guess expressed. Yeah. By everyone. And we need to, I would like to have more people um, in Europe that are black uh, that I communicate with that I, so that I can get a better understanding of what the, the daily life there is. When I see what's going on in France right now, when I see how people are, are, um, are expressing themselves after that, there's just a reminder that there is, look, I'm a proud black American. I am. I'm a proud black American. And as a descendant of slaves that are here, I feel a very specific calling to remedy and alleviate uh, a lot of the issues that exist in specificity for me here. That's very true. But there is a strength in building a worldwide understanding of what black and brown people all over this this world are going through. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'm, I'm, there's going to be people that listen to this and go, well, this kid is, is, has North African lineage. Is he black? And there's a discussion. There's a discussion that's had. No, I'm not doing that. They, there's, a, there's a discussion that's had whether or not you would consider somebody who's a North African Arab, whether or not you would consider them to be black. What did they, they, when those police officers looked at him, I'm sure they saw a black child. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, this was the whole situ- 
some time ago, this was the conversation. Remember the French Montana? Can French Montana use the N-word situation? What is he, Egyptian? He's Moroccan. He's Moroccan. Okay. Yeah. And there, when that whole entire thing was going on, that was when I was like, hey, if, you know, if your people are from Africa, you're from Africa, you're black. You're a black person. You're a black person. If you're from Africa, you're black. Um, that's when I realized that there are people that are of North African descent that don't necessarily want to be black, that they don't consider themselves to be black. They consider themselves to be of the Arab world. And that is something that they draw a huge distinction uh, between them in terms of whether or not they would be lumped into the same group um, as sub-Saharan Africans. So, you know, the the more information you have about all of that, the more you sort of know about it. But in this situation, I agree. I think that there's a specific amount of discrimination that you've talked about, that we've seen, that exists there. And you prob- what you're probably seeing in some of the, uh, the demonstrations is not just animus over the killing of this young man, but a, something that's been built up for a while. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, kind of the same thing that, that we saw uh, during George's Black Lives Matter situation. Yeah. Um, look, uh, Donnie, play Meg the Stallion from, um, from, uh, from Essence Fest. Play it. It's motherfucking hot girl summer. We're not giving us no second chances. We're getting real disrespectful right now. We're feeling ourselves. We're loving on ourselves. And just to let you know, we don't need y'all. We want y'all, but we don't need y'all. What's the problem? What's so, the problem? Let's talk about it. Some of the sexes coming July 17th. 7 p.m. Get your tickets 7 now. 7 p.m. Get your tickets now. This this segment is sponsored by the Summit of the Sexes. <laughs> we don't need y'all. But we want you. But we want you. Let's take that framework. Black women don't need black men, but they want black men. Do you feel like that is something that is fair and right to say? Yes. <laughs> what is so wrong about that statement? I think, first off, I think she's putting on for an audience, right? She's on stage. She's trying to get, like, Essence Fest is, the crowd is more women than men. She's getting, you know, them all worked up, getting everyone to cheer. She's putting on. I understand that. But she said, we don't need you. We want you. The need, I don't think that that's that big of a thing. I think it's a, I think it's beautiful. She said that we want, we choose that. Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily need you. Right. We can be independent. We can do our own thing, but we want you. We desire you. Like that to me is more powerful. I think it would have been messed up. She's like, we need you. We don't want you. Mm. So then it's more of like, well, we have to. It's a duty rather than, I choose you. Hmm. Mm. Wasn't that nicely put? Rachel, you you you're a beast with them words. Um, do you feel like the black family is needed? Yeah, a family unit. So then by that rationale, black men need black women and black women well, need black not men. Not everybody desires to have a family. Well, I, okay, so 
So like if Megan's if Megan is a person who doesn't plan on having a family, okay, she just wants to be, she like not, that might not be everybody's thing. Okay, but in general, like I'm not talking about what Meg the Stallion thinks. Meg the Stallion can do whatever she wants. I'm talking about in general. Okay. Do we need each other? Do black men need black women? And do black women need black men? Do we need each other? If we want each other, we want each other. But do we need each other? Because when we say, do we want families or do we need families? Mm. Do we want, um, do we want protection? We want. Do we want protection? Do we want respect? Or do we need those things? And let me tell you what I'm, let me tell you about what I mean by this is we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago about the self-defense issue that took place in Chicago. And with the woman and her son. Oh, yes. Okay. And there was as much discussion over whether or not that woman and her kid should have been prosecuted for murder as there was about the actions of the black man or black men inside that story. Mm -hmm. What I would argue is in that case, Black women needed that man to step up for that black woman. And that was something that they needed that man to feel compelled to do because that was happening specifically to a black woman. There is a need for, from, from a lot of the sisters that I talk to for black men to care about black women. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with saying that. Even when they don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. I do think, though, that saying that we don't need each other is destructive. I can see that point. Mm -hmm. I think she was putting on, I don't know if she, but like, I could see it both ways, right? It didn't really bother me what she was saying, because I guess I'm looking at it as a whole, but I also get it. Like, I think there's something beautiful in saying, I want you. I, I, I do, but I also understand the other side of it of like, do we need each other? Can we other? just be real? I'm like, being very real. I know, but what I'm saying I'm being, is, I, I'm saying what I'm saying is with Meg, like with Meg is standing up there, she's putting on whatever. You think I'm gonna grab a mic and go up there and be like, yo, black women, we don't need y'all. We don't need y'all. We want y'all. But shit, we don't need y'all. And look, men have said that. Dudes and rap said all the time. You know, bitch. And like, and what, and we're saying, hey, nah, dog. Like, we need our women, we need our families, we need Black people to be linked. It's not just Black men that need Black women. Black men need Black men. Black women need Black women. The prize is in the union. Why can't we say we need each other? Why you we got- can say it. I'm not knocking you for feeling that way. But I'm also not, like, you You think what she did was destructive. I don't. But I, I don't also think what you said is destructive. Like, I, I see both sides of it. but. We don't. So, (laughs) (laughs) Rachel. And I think the example that you gave with Chicago, the reason that people felt like that those men should have done something is because a man was attacking her. So So what? So I, I, that's why I think someone would say that those men needed to step up. What difference does that make? But I don't know make? if she needed him in that moment. I think people just, the optics of seeing a man standing there, people wanted that to happen. No, they, like, like 
what they what they were saying is they needed like there was a need hey a black man should protect a black woman that should be something that should be inside of me if it was two women fighting would you still feel like the black man needed to step up and protect that black woman if it woman? was if it was two women fighting i still would have been like hey y'all chill but i'm telling you what after they don't but chill, did she, would she I'm need a fight. black man then too? But when I, but that's not, that doesn't that's not neither here nor there because when the fact that it's a black man that's attacking just means that the attack is more severe. And what I'm saying is there was people that were still saying, "Hey, what we need is for black." That's all I heard was Tamika Mallory said that in that situation, if that if if that restaurant would have been filled up with black women and not black men she'd have had a better chance of getting uh, of getting the support that she needed. I'm paraphrasing my sister Tamika, and I understood where she was coming from. Didn't agree with her, um, uh, but I understood where she was coming from and how she was feeling. She didn't need a man. <laughs> she needed women. <laughs> right. So, 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 but what I'm saying is sometimes, you know what it feels like? What? Like y'all need us when y'all need us, and then when we're not needed, is like, fuck you guys. Like, I don't need you. I think that we've talked about Black women and their role in this society and how Black women have had to, like, take care and stand up and be strong and all of that. And so I think that, that, that that's where some of that comes from. We've had to do this, this, and this. So when I hear, like, Megan, it's like, you know, like, we don't, we don't really need you. We want you. We desire you. But, like, we're capable of doing things on our own as well. I think it's, I think it's... It's it's just it's particular to each person. Yeah. I say when if there's anybody out there that's that's a black guy, black man, rapper, whatever, I don't need nobody. I don't give a fuck about black women. We heard that for so long. If I ever give a fuck about a whatever, whatever. And a lot of people are gonna say, well, they weren't talking about specific black ladies. They were talking about women that they deemed bitches or hoes or whatever. It all got put in the same thing. What what happens is society went to a place that we to people weren't even trying to 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 differentiate. And I think the 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 distinction is bullshit anyway. I think that right now the narrative shouldn't be black women don't need black men and black men don't need black women. Yeah, I wouldn't I think, get up there and say that. I think the narrative. Well, you probably you know you probably that's probably something that holds true in your life, but like. <laughs> <laughs> but wow. I think the narrative is how much we need each other because we need to build a thriving, strong, capable black society. And we need each other to be able to do that. Even can't if we you, don't need each other. can you build that by with a want as well? Like, I want you. I want you this way, that way. And you can still build something strong. Why does it have to be the word need? Why can't it be like, I, that's I think one is so powerful. Like need yeah. sounds dependent. One, we I, like, are dependent. I, black men and black, black men and black women are dependent. On need. I tell you what, want is not desperate enough for me. To to combat when you say we want y'all, but we don't need y'all. Want to me is not desperate enough. Want is not the the right level of like desperation that we need to have for one another to combat some of the problems that we're dealing with. See, want is like, 
hey, if everything works out, no, we're together. It doesn't. See, need I think means need, we have to find a way to get need to can be one another. problematic at the same time. How so? With the dependency. That's why I'm like, with the want, you're actually making the effort to say, you, I choose you. I want this. I desire this. I'm, I'm, I'm create. Like it's a, it's a choice. Rather, need sounds like, well, I, like I can't do it. Like I have to have you. Like you said, the desperation. I think that can be almost toxic at times. To me, so that's why I think wants more powerful. To, to me, the need, and we're we're really deep in the weeds on semantics here. <laughs> but need says, these are the people that I have to make it happen with. These are the people. These are the people that I have to believe in. These are the people that I have to spend my uh, my economic and my emotional capital with. Are you there for me? I need you. Black woman, I need you. Black man, I need you. I want America's you. America's not going to have it happen. <laughs> I, I need you. All right? Okay. Y'all don't need a man until y'all need a man. And then like 10 years from now, you're going to be crying. But we want on, you. See? If 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 Meg Megan the Stallion has said we don't need y'all and put a period, I'd be like, come on. Hey, look, go out there. Come on, high girl summer. I don't want to hear the tears though. It's got to be. I well, don't you wanna, don't hear tears, don't so you wanna, won't hear them. I don't want to hear. Nah, you can hear them because they'd be like, <laughs> 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 I cry when I cry. I make a lot of sounds. <laughs> it depends. Yeah. Um. All right. Look. Look, here's the deal. I, I, I liked, I liked Meg's performance. It was nice. Are you watching? Yeah, it's just all clips. They, people put Meg, people, there are two people that they get gift when they perform more than anyone. You see little clips. It's Meg and Ice Spice. Beyonce? Ice Spice is right now is probably getting gifted a little bit more than Beyonce. Beyonce, they're showing the whole performance. But there are certain things that Ice Spice does on stage that, you know, little three-second loops that are, you know, driving the internet crazy. Twerking? No. There's one specific move that Ice Spice does that gets gifted a lot. I wouldn't expect you to know this because... I've never... I haven't seen that. You know what I mean? They just send it around. They send it around. I'm not in the life anymore, so I... Well, apparently no you've seen it. I've seen it, but when I see it, when I see that type of stuff now, I report it because <laughs> I, I'm not yeah. like, when I, see that, when I see that type of stuff now, I report it. I don't want that type of stuff around. <laughs> I'm out of the life. I don't look at none of that stuff, man. Kalika <laughs> Abrams. Um, so, so, so look, uh, Donnie, I want to hear Donnie on the, on the, on the want need thing now. Uh, Donnie, what do you think? Do, do you think, do you have a problem as a black man with a haircut from the 60s, when you hear... Um, Donnie. Donnie's got a great head of hair, but he's got a traditional haircut. Do you hear, when you hear, I don't need no nigga? What do you think, Donnie? I, uh, I don't, I don't, I feel like, first of all, with Megan the Stallion's case, um, I don't think that what she said in that context was wrong. Um, because she is, she uh started off by talking about it being a hot girl summer and it's yeah. in in that context so i think it's in the context of having a fun summer where you aren't in need of a man's company to have a good time and i feel like i i, I agree with that now on the more complex level when we're talking about actual relationships um i feel like dependency is a little bit of a 
a turn off. Um, and the idea of somebody needing me while that it, it feels like a double edged sword. Something about that is I don't know. I I like you to be able to have some independence where you you choose to be around me. And if you if I make a mistake, it's my fault and you aren't gonna make the decision to stay with me because you need to be around me or you need what I provide for you. But I mean, at the same time, I do there is an importance with the family structure and us being able to rely on each other and help each other like get through life's hurdles and obstacles. But at the same time, I think you have to have that self-dependency. Yeah. Beautiful, Donnie. That is beautiful. That's actually very well said. So I'll let people know. Needing someone doesn't mean that you are like, like necessarily codependent on them. Like I need my mother. Mm-hmm. Like I need, like needing someone, like having a need doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you, it doesn't make you. Sure. Right. So I'm just But I also don't want to be, you use the word desperate. I, I need people to be, I need black people because I'm serious. You're right. I need black people right now to be desperate to create black family structures, to create um, black economic and, and, and social kingdoms. Like I need them to be desperate to do that. And the reason why I need them to be desperate to do that is because the desperation to cut all of that stuff down never wanes. So I need there to be desperation. I need the, us to have a desperate and like just fiery need to build up black boys, build up black girls, build black families. I need that to be desperate. I understand what you guys are saying though, seriously. I understand what you guys are saying. Um, shout out to Flying the Boss. Have you heard of these girls? No. Turn that off, please. They hot. I don't like it. They crazy. You haven't heard them? You ever heard this joint? Hold on. Oh, wow. You know more. It's for real. I'm okay. What's, who is that? Who is that? You don't like that? Who is that? Flyanna Boss. Flyanna Boss? Yeah. You know, they, cr- they are the next up. Okay. Rachel, you better get with what the kids has got going on, man. Shout out to them young ladies who are taking over. They just, they, they taken over. They have taken over. They have taken over. They're best friends. That's that's great. They rapping. They're and I'm rooting for it's them. Original. I think it hits different when you see the visuals. Yeah, you know Thanks, what? Like, it, it, that's yeah, what it you is. know. Watching Van sing along to it and hearing it, maybe it wasn't doing it for me. Yeah, Donnie, you know, keep making excuses, bro. <laughs> Donnie, the excuse Donnie maker. Likes it, apparently, though, it, 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 they, they, do. they're okay. taking over the whole world and they're amazing. Look, you know what? I've had enough of the podcast. You guys. Keep doing the same shit that you're doing. Keep rooting for the Supreme Court. Rachel was on the side of the Supreme Court. She's been on the side of the Supreme Court for a long time. Keep rooting for the Supreme Court. <laughs> Keep rooting against flying the boss. Like, literally, the dopest thing to happen. And it, that's the only thing. Flying the boss is the only good thing to happen the whole month. Literally. Oh, jeez. Wait, which month are we talking about? I'm We're talking July about now. June. Oh. They're the only good thing to happen in June. It was one good thing to happen in June. 
Okay. And that was them. Other than that, it was pretty almost downhill. Okay, speak for yourself, but that's that's Fucking great. The Nuggets won the championship. <laughs> <laughs> June wasn't like was awesome, bro. Wasn't great. Or oh, uh, uh, June Tea Party was good. All right, that's enough. Um, uh, take big caps off, but do not stop learning. I'm Van Lacey Jr. I'm Rachel Lynn Lindsay. Bye, guys. <laughs>